And we are here now with the Athletes Without Borders podcast. I am your host, the mostest, Garrett Osuma. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. And we're here with our co-host, uh, Brother Kanye Gardner. What's going How's on? How's everyone doing? How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm great, man. How you doing? Man, I'm trying to stay warm because uh, it's a lot of snow that's hitting us right now out here in the DMV. So, what, we so in Michigan, I think we coming. got hit with like about maybe five inches. What did you get hit with? Man, it, it it's different because it's like a foot of snow. But the reason why it hits different in VA and in the DMV is that they're not prepared for it. Like out in, in Detroit, you know, they salt the roads. You got the trucks out there. People know how to maneuver. Folks out here in Virginia are sliding up and down the highway. Within the first hour of the snow hitting, there were like 36 accidents. 32 of those were like car accidents that people got hit because they're on the highway. Like it was crazy. Yeah, man, that's that's crazy. So, so then you know we've been talking about it for a while, starting the the Athletes Without Borders podcast, and and you know let's you know we're here and let's. Let's our listeners know what is Athletes Without Borders. Well, so it, it's a really awesome thing because a to be here in 2021 is a blessing within itself. Because you know, in the pandemic, in the era that we're living in right now, there are some people that did not make it with us to 2021. So I'm thankful, a for God us bless. to be here. Definitely, definitely. Um, but. When we talk about the, to your question of what's athletes without borders, so AWB was a brainchild that I had when I was in high school. Um, I've had this in my brain for a long time, and it kind of de- it deals in the whole like I-, I was dibbling and dabbling with how do you kind of work in sports, um, how do you find out about careers in sports. Uh, but I, I wanted to play, but I didn't play, you know, my whole thing got injured, all that kind of stuff. I know we'll talk about it, but with athletes without borders, it came about because after I got injured, um, in high school, I was a senior in high school, um, injured. Uh, what is it? I think I broke my ankle three places, um, I was projected to do a lot of different things, like go to University of Michigan, play football. I'd been told after the summer camp, all I needed to do was finish strong, have a good year, and I get an offer. All the, all these things that kids hear, and you're hoping and building off of this. Stuff. It's like, yo, 1997, whew, it's about to be an amazing year. We're about to go to Michigan. We're about to ball out. I've already looked at uh, this kid named Charles Woodson. I know he's going out there. We had, uh, there were some other kids that were coming out of Michigan that were like really like on top of their game. So, I mean, he's not from Michigan, of course. I know he's from Ohio. But um, what happened is, is a freak accident happened in practice, broke my ankle. And from that, I was down, I was depressed, all this kind of stuff. But it was more so my family and everybody else that was more depressed because they're like, what are you going to do without football? Because everyone had known me as G, the football player. And I was, my response to them was, 
I'm going to be okay because I got like a 3.5. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm going to go to college. I'm still going to go to Michigan. And they're still going to give me an offer. They're still going to do this. And I'm going to, we're going to work it out. Got maybe two, three weeks after got injured. That's when Michigan pulled and said, oh, we're not going to, we're, we're going to reevaluate. And if you're still interested at the end of the season, you can walk on. At that time, your boy was like, yo, that's not happening. No way, no shape, no how. I'm not walking on. I had the biggest head in the world. I was like, nah, 6'2", 240, bench pressing like 400-some pounds, running a 4'5". Like, let, let, let's stop on the bench press. You're exaggerating. <laughs> I know, Kanye. You- I, I was good until you said the bench press. Because everything was truthful until I like, wait a minute, let's stop. This. Man, I, I, I was benching everything. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But, um, wasn't benching no 400 pounds. I know, I know. It's all good. Uh, but <laughs> but what, it, what happened is, is that when that happened and I saw that my offer was gone or the, the opportunity to get an offer there, like my whole mind shifted. And I was like, so what do I do? What is my career going to look like um, if it's not, what, becoming a, a pro football player? Because every kid that plays high school football, they're, they're in their mind, in the back of their head, they want to go to the NFL. And so it just so happened that I went to the best high school in all of Detroit, Cass Technical High School. For life. Um, for life, second to none. Um, and I had a high GPA, 3.5. And I had a grandfather that prayed and a grandmother that prayed over me like none other. And it just so happened that he had me look at, they both had me look at a, um, the graduation of Morehouse men. I had heard of Morehouse College. I was like, it's a school just for all dudes. Now, I don't know if I want to go to school with just guys like that, I don't know. Like, what about the ladies? Um, so he had me sit down and look at it. He was like, school is bigger than just looking at girls. Like, let's look at this. I looked at the graduation and I saw perfection. I saw black excellence on the television screen. Like I had never seen before firsthand. I saw people, parents, grandmas dressed up, standing on side of roads, cheering these brothers on as they march and they get their degree. And it was after I had that kind of conversation with my, my grandfather, I was like, yo, this is where I want to go to school. I want to go to school at Morehouse College. I don't know if I really want to play, but you know what? I'm going to do something within the sports world that helps young kids. Now that's real random. Like you're just going to help young kids. No, what, what the goal was, I saw that there were a lot of kids that we were playing with in Detroit that didn't have that opportunity to just flip the switch and say, Hey, I don't have good grades and I can play football so I can make a decision and still go to a top grade school. There are some kids and this is perennially the, the issue that there are a lot of young people, especially black and brown students, that they're either, they've been told that they're great in football, that they're great in basketball. Don't worry about your education. 
But then when they forego the education and then football or basketball pushes them to the side, these babies don't have an opportunity. They're at, they're beholden to somebody else to allow them to do something. How many people did we see uh, playing football that were all American type kids, but they didn't go to a top tier school because of grades. You know what I mean? And so when I saw, yeah, we don't want to get, yeah, you know, we, I don't want to get. Yeah, too we don't want to get to that that far into it. But you you really make a great point. Is that it's it's bigger than sports. Sports is it's only an avenue. And and that's what as, as early as my mind can conceive, as I can go back as far as high school right now because I'm getting old. <laughs> um, that's always been my my mission to help others help bring along other individuals to help lay the table, set the table. So therefore others can come and eat and we can do the same thing. Um, my grandfather used to always ask the question and I've heard other athletes say from their coaches and other people, they'll say, why not you? And I didn't understand until I got older, but in the, the midst of what, athletes without borders is it's about that whole concept why not you why can't you be the one that brings change about into communities of color and communities not of color so therefore there are opportunities for everyone to understand what empathy looks like how young people can travel the world be immersed in culture they can understand careers in steam they can understand their ability is not based on their athletic prowess that they can develop a positive attitude based on their academic achievements and have a viable future. That they're bigger than just what they put on a field, what they put on a court or a diamond, whatever it may be. Right. So, so Garrett, let's just get into what is STEAM? Because you oftentimes you hear about STEM, but what is STEAM? So, so the, the, the funny part about that, and well, I want to go with the funny part. STEAM is what some folks would say, it's just STEM with an A added. And so break, laugh, break down STEM. What is STEM? Yeah. <laughs> so when people say STEM, they're talking about science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But STEAM is the incorporation of art. Right into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So therefore, the STEAM comes about. But what you're asking, it's not just injecting an art component. What you're asking a young person to do now is to be able to be creative, to think outside the box, and weather of storms that might come, and or just become cultured. So therefore, they can create they can be bountiful in any and everything they want to do. It's the diversity that you keep on hearing about uh, from whether it's presidential councils, from corporations saying that they want to deal with, uh, they want to make sure they have a diverse uh, work culture. The arts piece helps young people to stay so 
outside of the norm that it's not just one plus one equals two. You figure out half plus half plus half plus half can equal two as well. And how to make those shifts change. Um, that's what STEAM is. Being able to mesh the artistic piece together so therefore young people are consistently thinking and being creative so they're not just narrowly focused on, oh, I just got to code. I just got to be an engineer. I got to do this. I got to do that. It's how can I understand what coding and engineering is from a African culture to a Norwegian culture right. or Chinese culture? How do those pieces play in together? What are the normalcies and or the nuances that make each culture different? So therefore you can have what balance throughout what you're trying to do overall. So, so with AWB, can you, what is the mission and how did you come up with? So if I give you the, our, our mission, we're empowering you through sports and steam. Uh, our, our goal with that going deeper into it is to help young people from all backgrounds uh, have an opportunity to be exposed to sports, both traditional and non-traditional, uh, get exposed to the sports industry uh, and the careers that exist and figure out how STEAM careers and curriculum tie together. So therefore there can be a deeper conversation with regards to cultural um, progression and immersion to improve their ability overall. Um, that's how, well, I won't say that's how, that is That is what we're doing on an everyday basis. Every time we have a program, when we, when we go to Costa Rica, when we go to China, when we go to Brazil, when we go to, to the continent of Africa, uh, we're bringing young people there and we're having culture brought back. So therefore we're expanding their horizon to understand how empathy needs to be woven in and then how steam powers the entire world. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved because it's, I never really found myself really interested in the STEAM program because I'm, you know, I kind of shy away from science and engineering. That's not my thing. But in regards to the art, I was a former mm -hmm. art student and I felt that if I was a student that was in art, this would be a good program for them. And if there's, you know, within art, there's a lot of opportunities within art and we knew a lot of people, we know a lot of people that's in art right now that's doing a lot of great things. So I look at it as it's much more than just science, engineering, science, technology, engineering, and math. It's, you know, art is always a great thing to, you know, because you have to be creative so, and have a creative mind to think about all of these different things. Absolutely. And I'll take it even a, a step further because the other, the, the tie-in with all of this um as I went to Morehouse College and HBCU, uh, one of the things that we make sure that we highlight through our entire program is that when you think of STEAM, you cannot think of STEAM without 
thinking of HBCU and the contributions that HBCU graduates provide. Okay, and you have to explain that because I did not go to HBCU. So no, I, help I, got you. Understand. I got you. So to understand what that means is that for more than a century, HBCUs have been the leaders in educating African-American college graduates who excel in their fields. Um, the I'd say the most recent um, report from the National Science Foundation revealed, I think 20, I saw back in 2016 when I did a paper, um, but I know it's, it's been updated 2018, 2019. It revealed that 21 of the top 50 institutions in America responsible for educating African-American graduates who go on to receive their doctorates in science and engineering and in some type of technical field, they get that degree from an HBCU. Wow. To take that step further, what that means is that, well, I won't say take it further. I'll say the contributions don't really stop there. When we look at from a, a macro level, our nation's HBCUs, they make up just 3% of colleges and universities here in the, Amer- in, in the United States. Right. They produce 27% of all African-American students with bachelor's degrees in STEM and STEAM fields. And really, and you, you talk about, and physicians as well. You know, you can get in even deeper. You know, a lot of the HBCUs produce a lot of physicians. And one of those schools is Xavier, Morehouse College, Meharry. Right. We can we can go on and on. I, I can go from Georgia to North Carolina. I can go all the way out to California. I, I mean, all around the country, HBCUs are paramount to impacting our world as we know it. No matter what society might try to push out there and say and or make you think right now, the facts, this is not as, what does that say, fake news? This is not fake news. No, it's not fake news. The data is out there. The data is out there and you can research it for yourself. Yeah, don't believe anything that we say. You know, <laughs> I, I always I tell say, people, I thought, check, check it out. The data is there. You know, proof is in and the pudding and we make decisions based off the data. Back in... 2011, HBCUs conferred one-fourth of the bachelor's degrees in education awarded to African-Americans. Yes. That is huge. Now, here's the next big piece. When you say, when you get the understanding of how impactful HBCUs are to STEM and STEAM, the job market overlay for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years is slated to grow at a rate and a pace that has never been seen before. And I remember in college, our professor told us the positions that we are working towards to fill today, they have not even been created yet. 
That's how crazy it is right now. Right. When we start thinking about virtual reality and augmented reality and data analytics and all of the things that are going on right now with AI, there are things going on that people don't even know. We don't even know how to monetize properly what? Esports. If you yeah, tell I was just talking that, about that today. Like you what was I looking at? The University of Kentucky, I want to say. They have an esports. Um, they're really getting into esports. A lot of your bigger schools are getting into esports. And even um, today locally, we're, we're talking the Michigan High School Athletic Association are really considering bringing on esports as a part of, you know, for students that can't run a good 40 time, can't shoot a basketball, or they can't hit a baseball. They're not good swimmers. You know, right. giving so, students the, the opportunities that if they can play a game and they're good at video games or they're good at flying drones, then they have an opportunity to be participate in the sport. So even bigger than that, though, this is where the actual, going back to your original question, how do we come up with the name Athletes Without Borders? I, as I thought about the name, I said, uh, what do we want to call it? We want to say athletes and STEAM, STEAM athletes. I kept on coming up with all these different things. But then I was like, no, I don't want it to be just this because this leaves out something. Right. We, we're not encompassing everything that we want. And as I, as I thought about it, it was the without borders piece that really stuck because – that's what we want our children to live life as. We want them to live in a place, in a space where there are no limits and no borders to what they can do and become. We ha you have to earnestly believe that. And so and the only way that these kids coming up today can do that is if they travel to another, another place. They have to go to another country. They've got to get their very first passport. They've got to experience what eating uh, fufu is and what it tastes like, why it's amazing, or for some people it might not be amazing. They've got to go to uh, Brazil. They, they've got to go in and understand the culture and see Christ the Redeemer and understand why that was so impactful for that society. Because then when they come back, they're able to have a much deeper and much richer conversation on how they too can help the next student do the same exact thing. And yeah. when we have that kind of cyclical movement happening, that's when we do, that's when we change Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We change the way kids think and feel they're able to take care of their family. They're, they're sheltered, they're safe they can provide for themselves, now they can change their station. And it starts off on a basic level, having them understand how they can be contributors in society starts with from, it starts from an educational platform. And that's where all of that, I know I'm so long-winded, uh, but I, I get so excited about Athletes Without Borders when I talk to people, when I talk to funders, I talk to athletes, they say, so how did you come up with it? They love it. And I sit there and talk to them, and they're just like, wow. 
it yeah. blows their mind when we talk about the things that we're doing, where we're going, what we're planning, and um, just the future of athletes on borders. It, it, it just blows me away. So, Garrett, let's just, you know, while we're getting into the, you know, we talk about, you know, I, you know, looking, seeing the world differently. I, like I tell people, it's important that, like, I, I, I didn't leave the country until I was 30 years old, you know, and I, mm-hmm. and I went to, first I went to um, the Bahamas and it was going and seeing other neighbor, other country, you know, going to see the Bahamas and seeing how people live down there and then going to Jamaica and seeing how people live and getting the understanding of, you know, being, for me, being that my parents are American, was born in America, you know, grandparents born in America, we only had a certain mindset of, you know, being American. Let's let's get into your background and how your your view on life is a little bit different because of your background. You're right about that one, my brother. So I come, I am first generation, I think second generation, um, Nigerian. Uh, my father was Niger- born and raised. Uh, in Nigeria, Edo State. Um, he went to university. Uh, great, he did grade school, university there, and he met my mother. His first, and, and I, I'm I'm glad to say, and I, I joked with her all the time. I was like, Ma, how did you how did you and Dad meet? Was it like it wasn't like a green card situation, was it? And she was like, No. He so your mom's American. Yeah, my mom is from Jackson, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, she was, yeah. My mom's from Knoxville, uh, Tennessee. That's amazing. All right, all right. Um, Jackson's where and, Lane College is at, right? Exactly. That's oh, man, awesome. Went. Yeah, my, my grandmother got her doctorate from Lane College. Okay. Well, she went to Lane. She got her doctorate, um, I think, at Wayne State. Um, if not, she'll... Somebody in my family will, will call me out on it and tell me where she got it from. <laughs> right. um, she got a doctorate, though, I know, in mathematics. So she was phenomenal woman. For anyone to have a doctor in mathematics, she, she's hardcore. Coming from what? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's no joke. Out yeah, there. Wasn't no academics wasn't no play in your house. Yeah. So um, I had a pastor for a grandfather, a principal for a grandmother. She was the principal at Murray Wright High School down the street from us. Wow. So while we were in in school? While we were in school, every time I was in class, the the head of the math department would always pop her head in to make sure that I could answer every single question that was going on in calculus, that was going on in uh, pre-algebra, uh, in geometry and all the kind of whatever we were doing, I had to make sure I answered it because my grandmother was like, yo, if he's not on point, let me know oh. because I didn't had him stuck in books for summers on end, learning how to count and do all types of calculations and you name it. I, I was primed for help and service through my grandparents and my mom. Um, 
And so in school, I had no other choice. I couldn't get in trouble because I go to the principal's office, but the principal will call the other principal, Mary Wright. And then I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get that, that belt. Yeah. yeah, So I, so I, I had to make sure I was always on my P's and Q's. Uh, but on the other side, I had this, this understanding that I was not just an American. I was African. I had to understand what pigeon was. I got to, to travel to different countries. See, hold on, stop. I'm going to stop you. What is that? See, I just found out recently that I am 28% Nigerian. So I, I'm trying to learn these things from you. So what is pigeon? What are you talking about? They'll say, I want to either learn Swahili, they want to learn French, they want to learn Spanish. So Swahili is kind of the native tongue that everyone knows in Africa. Okay. Um, but that's what other people kind of pay attention to. But pigeon is the language that's spoken in Nigeria that is broken. I won't say broken because that's my, my father said it's not broken because how do you, you it's, it's other countries saying that something is broken, but it's, it's the common it's the, language of Nigeria. It's the common language, common tongue that is spoken in Nigeria that once you get around it, like once I get around my father and his cousins and my uncles and everybody else, I'd say give me like three days. So it, it would be the speaking. equivalent of, of American slang. then. To an extent. Yeah, to yes, an extent. It's, it's, it's a common language. Yeah. You have common, you have like the Nigerian, what's the language that the people in Nigeria speak? What is the official language, country language? So it, it's, it's different for each, um, for each country because Nigeria is split into states. Right. And so now then when you start talking from a tribal piece, there's going to be Yoruba that's spoken. There's Igbo that's spoken. And I can go on and on and right, on, right. but there's a basic language that you can pull out. And whether you're Yoruba, you're Igbo, uh, your Hausa, uh, you'll understand and you'll be able to pick up and be like, oh, oh, my brother, and keep on moving. And then you'll, it, it'll, so it'll this start is pigeon. So this is pigeon. Yes. Okay. Pigeon, I, I can pick it up just like that. Okay, right. And so, uh, so I was that kid that had to deal with what? Uh, being the darkest thing in the room and people not knowing how to spell my name or pronounce it. Osuma. Your last name, yes. Yep. And being misspoken as Osama, uh, and then on top of that, what what were the what were the the running jokes uh, that you heard? Kids, kids are rude. They they they're they're mad, bad. But African booty scratcher. Uh, I heard. Uh, uh, why don't you go back to Africa? I was like, well, I would if uh, I could get my passport together, but they fighting over there. So it's, it's like th- those kind of conversations are different for me when I Girl, hear. And just and just and again, you know, growing up in the city of Detroit, it's different because you're a Detroiter. So, like in my household 
And in every Nigerian, every, I'm not even going to say Nigerian, every African household, the, the demand on a child to come out and say, I'm either going to become a scientist, a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer, that is all that you know. Anything and see, I, and, and and that's you know what, and, and and that's amazing that you have that because again, I'm growing up in a black family, you know. Now, is your is your mother your like so your father is half Nigerian, and then you no no my father is a hundred percent Nigerian. Yeah, his my entire family on his side all from Nigeria. Okay, my and mother, your mother was, is from where? From Tennessee, grandfather, Alabama, um, grandmother, Mississippi. Okay, so your mother is black American. Yes. Okay, so my parents are black American. So, so, so Nigerian dad, black American mother. It did not mix well in in the beginning. Okay. Because black American grandfather thought just like some people think originally when um, someone coming from another continent is coming to the States, oh, he must need a green card to stay. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, he might, well, what is it? Nigerians are, what they say we're great scam artists. <laughs> we talk you, fast. You, 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 you talk fast. We talk fast. You got fast. the email. Yeah. That, that says you got you got three million dollars sitting in the bank, and we're waiting hey, to transfer. To hey, you. you know what's so funny? When I when I told all my friends that that was Nigerian, they was like, "Oh yeah, you yeah you you Nigerian." I'm like, well, you, "How you figure?" He's like, "You're just like us." <laughs> <laughs> but, and when when people say that, I I I smile because we bought getting it done. It's yeah. in our blood. We don't mess around. It is no host barred from getting things done making sure you figure out a way and you give honor to God mm-hmm. for getting you to that point. Respect, man. But tenacious. Yes. Like, I, 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 the last thing on the family, I remember the first time I brought home all A's. My mother was ecstatic. She, she was like, yeah, 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 because I'd had all A's and B's before. Uh, Good for but you. this one time, I, I this is only one time. <laughs> I brought home all A's. One A was an A minus. I called my dad and I was like, yes, he's going to be excited. He's going to say, oh, this is amazing. Da, 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 da. Do you know what his response was? When I, when I showed him the report card and he saw it said all A's and an A minus, he responded with, that is great. Where is the other part of the A. Yes. See, that's... And so... People don't realize how... No, man. I think that that's not not a bad thing, though. No, no. It's not a bad thing. At the time, I was crushed. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll we'll get into... We'll get into Vern Gardner and, you know, the whole... (laughs) Hell, you know, we playing playing football and and how he just, just totally had a great game and he's like, Hey, I don't really care about that. And the next day yeah. you get a job and he's like, what? What? Great stuff. <laughs> you got a job. <laughs> once I, once I realized what I was dealing with, it wasn't because he was disappointed. His mindset has always been 
perfection yes. is attainable. Yes. You have to strive for it. And anytime you deviate from that, you're setting the precedent that being less than perfect is okay. And, and you know what? I think that, you know, like perfect example. So you had, you grew up in a household of educators where I, I did not, you know, my parents, my mom went to college. She didn't finish. My dad mm-hmm. was skilled trade. And so okay. I look at it as, you know, bringing home all A's. It was more so, oh, I got three point. <laughs> hey, you got a three point versus, and sometimes I, I wish that my parents would have been like, well, see, my dad used to get mad because he would say, I know that you can get better grades. You just choose not to because we only we only set the standard as a 3.0. Right. And so, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, setting high standards for your kids, teaching them how to fail is okay. But it's okay to teach high standards for your kids because they know what the, sta- the standard is the standard. <laughs> Who are you telling <laughs> When I when I first tried out for football, I didn't so I didn't play I, like I tried out for eighth grade and all they did was just walk around. It was basically just flag football. So I was like, all right, this is yeah, not really football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got to Cass Tech, um, I came home with the the, the brochure, whatever the little sheet that uh, that they gave, and it said the requirement was. All you needed was a two point something. It was like a two point three or a two point five, some low. And I was like, "Wow, all I need is this." Do you know my entire household was like, "You can think that if you want to, but if we see anything less than a three point three ever for a GPA, you will not be able to play ever." See, again. that 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 was exactly how my dad, my parents were. But there was, they, but see again. Talking about what was the standard that was set in your house. So 3.3 was in your house. A 3.0 was in my house. And so now, like, even you know, we'll get into, you know, coaching. And, we, you know, we'll, 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 we'll let's get into that. But in coaching, I actually, not coaching that cast, but even coaching that cast. Like, we've coaching, like, I've been coaching 20 years. I was at a school one time where a kid, came and I looked at his grades and he had a 1.7. I said, oh, you got to get out of the weight room. I kicked him out the weight room and apparently he goes and the mother gets mad. And I was like, listen, I had a, I couldn't even play football unless I had a 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I think that you and I always vibe because of the fact that we had parents at home that was not accepting anything less than greatness, man. Exactly. And that's the problem with society right now. That we're Mediocre is okay. Mediocrity is being accepted. Yeah, it's acceptable. And it's acceptable. And then while other, while other, I look, I'm not even saying, like, you know, while other, while, while greatness is accepted by one set of group of people, mediocrity is accepted by others. And I'm just like, I'm not going to tolerate mediocrity in my home. At all. Well, I know you can do better. Now, you might be some challenges where you might not be as where you need to be. Okay, well, we will get you assistance for that to get you where you need to be. But you're going to be – you need to, hey, step it up everywhere else. Now, the even bigger challenge that exists for us with Athletes Without Borders is that although we know that young people 
have the capability and the capacity to do great things. It does nothing. It means absolutely nothing if the parents don't reinforce that. And that is the bigger problem because there is a, uh, a parent, uh, there's a, a, a wide range of parents that are happy with, hey, he's not going to do, he's not going to become a doctor because my family's never been a doctor. So he can only play football. So we just going to have him play football or he can only dunk the ball. So that's what we're going to push him towards. And they breathe this mentality into their kid. And then that kid believes what it's a, it's a type of brainwashing that you've taught your son and daughter that all they can do is this. Right. And the hard part now becomes when we come into a school district, we're telling parents, your child does not have to be just that. They can do more. They can do leaps and bounds more if they start now and understand where it can go, how to get them there. And you show them the blueprint. That's that's the hard part, getting parents to buy in and see the blueprint on what's possible for their kids because no one took the time to show them that they mattered. Yeah, see, and see, there's the biggest – see, like I, I, I found out through coaching a long time ago is that parents, kids don't change, man. And, and, and you, you, we kids, all kids want to do well. It is the parents at the home that is really setting the standard. And again, exactly. the standard is the standard. <laughs> I'll always say that. The standard is X. And you have to establish standards in the home. And so if the standard is you have to do well in school, that's the standard. And so when we do our programming year-round, it's – we would be running into a brick wall if all we just said is, hey, we're just going to deal with the kids and get them good. The other piece to what we do is we definitively work with parents and showcase to them careers in STEAM. Wow. We show them how technology is advancing and moving forward. So therefore they understand what's, what social media is. We, sometimes we'll have things where parents are trying to figure out what is this top tick? Right. You mean TikTok? TikTok. Right, right, right. What is this face, face gram? Fa- yes. face, no, I got Facebook, but what, how is it different from Instagram? Why you can't just do one on the other? And it's the bridging of the, of the technology bridging gap. The divide. Yes. Bridging that divide. Because then once the parents understand it and they can they can speak it intelligently or just a little bit, then they can breathe that same type of life into their child. Right. And that then helps us help the kid. Helps us help them help their child become a better he and or she. So so Gary, you know, as we talk and we want the listeners to know more about you, you have um, done a lot of unique things. And one of the unique things is coaching professional football. Let's get into that. 
So the crazy thing is after coming out of college, um, I still had this, this dream of, yo, I'm going to run the fat. I'm going to run a 4.040 yard dash. And I ran out See, and I tried to run a 40 yard dash. There you go. <laughs> and I ran like a five. You want people to listen to the show and then you, you talk about 40, <laughs> 40 yard dashes. No, but 40, 4.0. I, I wanted to run as fast as possible. I realized I was like, you know what, brother? What, what did you run? Did you so when you played ball? So what did you? So okay, so you played at Morehouse. I got it clocked. I had hand time and I got a digital time. So what is the your clock forty at? Because my clock forty for my NFL pro day was a five two three. So I got down playing linebacker. And I was outside linebacker, running back, and my fastest was a 4.50. Wow. Impressive. 4.51. And I hold on to this with all life because I just had one guy that got me good. And he said, I came in at a 4.49. Oh, man, he was generous for you that day. (laughs) (laughs) But that 4.5 is actually pretty good for a linebacker. So I was ecstatic. Yeah. But, you know. I was slow, man. I I was just slow, man. I was slow and hurt. People weren't really thinking about Morehouse at the time. We only had one guy when I came out that got some notoriety. Um, His name is Isaac Keys. He ended up. Uh, he got either he got drafted, but I, I know he ended up going to like Minnesota, and then he was with Arizona. So, so um, Morehouse is what Division Two, Division Two. So y'all play that's like where Tuskegee. So y'all play Tuskegee. Hey man, we don't talk about Tuskegee. Okay? Oh my! Oh, oh, we don't. Oh, okay, my bad. Because I, there's right. so there's. Right. A, I, I just yeah, found out there. that <laughs> I, people that go to TSU don't talk about JSU. I didn't know that until recently. Yeah. So so Tuskegee the T so the T. So the T is the is the it's like it's like the whole Lafayette and second half type of thing. You got it. Okay, you all got right. it right on the on the net. <laughs> it is exactly that. Okay. Um, and you know, if if I just deviate for a second, um, we had one of our teammates, uh, Stephen Johnson. I don't know if you remember him. He played linebacker for us. Oh, you talking about uh, down, you talking about SCT? Yeah. Okay. He went to. To Tuskegee, and yeah, he and I started jumping. Yeah, and we had to do the whole beefing in front of everybody. But after the game, slapping it, was it up, <laughs> it was, it was, we adapted up. We was hey, like, that's the same thing that happened. Man. That's the same thing that happened with me and uh and and G Dub Greg Williams. Yeah, he went to Saginaw. Him and Tabari went to Saginaw, and at the end of the game, we're talking, slapping it up. My my teammate is like, why are you talking with those guys? I'm like, because they're my friends. Yeah, my brothers. We, <laughs> my brothers, man. Because, see, see, again, it, when you say CT for life, it's for life, man. No matter what school you go to. It's always. Afterwards, it's always. We, 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 we family. So but, let's get into this whole, so, how did you start coaching? So that that that's where it got in. Once I realized, I was like, all right, look, I'm not going to be able to play football forever. What is it that I can do to help, again, service? How can I bring about other players? How can I assist? So 
I, I looked at all, I was looking for open spots. I was like, yo, can I go coach at Morehouse? Can oh, I coach at, I went to all the colleges and I was like, uh, can I help here? Can I help here? Can I help here? And I had already moved to Boston for my first job. And so I was like, well, I'm not really liking it here. Boston is cold. I'm not really feeling this anymore. Super I've been cold. in Atlanta for a minute. I mean, cold and snowy. Man, I'm going to tell you, people be talking about Michigan and, and Chicago being the windy city. Yeah, yeah, I take our cold and our wind chill below whatever versus all that snow. <laughs> Man, it's, it's, and so what ended up happening is, is that one of my coworkers had a friend that he said was a coach for a pro football team. And I was like, what? That's Patriots, so yeah, we're coaching for the Pats. Like, what? This is Patriots? Like, what? Okay, let me... Let's set up the meeting. Yeah, and they Brady. Meeting. And I'm like, yo, we about to we about to be in here. We, we with the Patriots. Okay. I'm about to do some some graduate assistant or something. I don't know, but we about to make a pop. And what happened is, is that this was the owner of the team called the Boston Militia. And I was like, Boston Militia? What is I've never heard what is, what is this? And then I went and I looked at the website. I pulled up the phone, looking on the website. I was like, wait a second. This is women. Wait, I thought I was going to see the Patriots. Like I legit, I was in Foxborough when I had to meet. And I was like, yo, what's going on? How is this happening? You think you're getting catfished or something? I, yeah, I thought I, I was like, yo, what is going on here? And so then I started talking to ownership and everybody else like that and they invited me out to a practice and I was like all right I'm let me just go out because I said I, I prayed on it I was like let me figure out what I can do let me just see what's going on out here and as I saw what was going on this was not like pop warner this wasn't uh ragtag when I say that these women were out here lacing it up and popping each other smacking it was i'm talking about you heard the pop the moment i got into the arena i heard the, the click pad. clack click clack <laughs> Woo! what is this yeah i, I you and know i, was, I yeah. fell in love yeah I, I saw the energy that these women showcased on the field, which translated into even more passion off the field because guys were ridiculing them, saying, oh, oh this is not really real, blah, say, blah. See, that's the, yeah. yeah, when I found out that you was coaching the ladies, I was just like, and so we had the, um, what was the Detroit team, the Dark um, Angels? Dark Angels. Yeah, it's kind of around the same time, and I went and saw the game, and I'm looking like straight ballers. When I tell you, they they get it in. Right. And so as I saw what they were doing, I was like, all right, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. I saw some issues with like what? Ball uh, ball control and how you hold on to the football. And or, all right, they weren't being consistent with like maybe 
they were dropping their head and I saw these little things. And so as I started, you know, you go to practice, you're like peeping. The coach is like, all right, come on over to the D-line, help him out, help him out. I was like, okay. So then my that was my first entrance into women's professional football. And I can tell you that I say I'm the good luck charm because uh, once I got on the team, we won a national championship. I'll take that. Chip. We won a chip. You'll feel me. And then after I got into business school and I had to take a step away and kind of figure out life. Um, yeah, I know I might sound a little bit cocky, but you know, it was all fun and games. Uh, but I ended up coming down to Washington DC. And again, I got, I had the bug. I'm, I'm, I'm in grad school still. Um, over at Georgetown, and now I'm like, oh, I still want to coach. How can I get into? And I remember our our, our rival team was the DC Divas. Wait, man, you ain't coach with a rival. That's terrible. Yeah, it's like going from Michigan to going Ohio. So State. you're like Bowden. You're like Bo Sinbacker. Yeah. Oh man, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah, it is. Uh, the the ladies on the militia when they saw me in the the walkthrough line with the DC Divas, they were they're like. Coach G, what's good? Like, what's going on? Like, it, it got serious. Like, they're like, bro, what's up? Why? Are you, wh- why? Why did you do this? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm here coaching. I just love the game. I just want to be here. It's bigger, I mean, it's bigger than the team. It's, big, it's about the, it's about the love of the sport. Man, they was about to, they was about to wreck me. Yeah. They, they were about to wreck oh, me. Really but then afterwards, it was all love. They gave me hugs. Um, and then when I joined the DC Divas, we won two national championships. All, all I remember is talking to you, and you're like, "Hey, I'm coaching, coaching the ladies," and then you keeping up, and you're like, they don't straight up won two ships. Yep. <laughs> so in three years of me coaching, I won three national championships. So I was like, "Yeah, maybe I might need to go back into coaching." But then, kids, life, life, <laughs> life. All life. those things. They, they come and take a baseball bat yeah. and they hit you right upside the head. And it's like, uh-uh, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. That's that's not what we're going to do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's um, life, man. Life life hits you, man, so you have to make some changes in your life. But I had the chance to meet some of the greatest players, some of the greatest, not, not players, best athletes in the world. I'm talking about, I'm talking about men and women. Right. These athletes that I saw for the DC Divas, uh, that I saw with the Boston Militia, uh, they are so great. I saw women that were running four, five, forties. I saw women that um, they they got ridiculed because they were offensive linemen, and so they said, "All right, well, let me come to your your guys' semi-pro practice." And let me let me be on defense. Let me do something with y'all. Right. Work and they out. demolish the guys. Right. I'm seeing uh, former uh, women's star basketball athletes uh, like Jen King, who we'll talk about her in a second. Um, there's uh, Ashley Wisenhunt, uh, who played at University of Arizona, played basketball. She came to uh, Washington D.C. And when I say she is by far one of the greatest athletes 
in football that I've ever witnessed in my life. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not blowing smoke. Like I legit saw her run with sprained knee, uh, torn knee cartilage, whatever. Like straight warrior, straight warrior mindset, straight Wide animal. Receiver that mossed people on a regular basis. Um, she's a uh, firefighter. Uh, she just got married. Um, she's just amazing. And there's like I can talk about my Hall of Fame running back, uh, Kenyatta Grigsby, who's also from Detroit. Um, shout out to <laughs> Grigsby. They, she and her wife just had a baby. Um, and it, it's when I say great, like the last championship she won, um, Franco Harris was there and watching her in the stands, and he was like, "Yo." what is going on? Like, she's amazing. Like her ability to read holes and be coachable and to have ball security to, 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 to guide through the hole and kind of bounce off blocks and do what she needs to do, lower the boom and then run straight stiff arm. Like there's some things that you can coach. And then there's some things you just look back and you're just like, yeah, just go do what you do. You, you just great. Like go ahead. And that's the kind of stuff that I was around on a regular basis. I can go on and on and on so, about those ladies. So, like, any of those coaches now, you have a lot of coaches that are in the NFL right now. Are any of the coaches you coached any of those ladies? Yes. Players and coaches. I, and so the other player that I, I, I should have mentioned outside of Jim King is Callie Bronson. Uh, she played running back, wide receiver, corner, all that kind of stuff. Uh, she's amazing. Now, I start with Callie because Callie made the switch from saying, hey, I'm going to I want to work in sports. I got to find my way and I'm going to do internships. I'm going to go to Manning Passing Camp. I'm a coach there. I'm going to do this. And she was the first female to coach coach. I'm, I apologize. First woman to coach at Dartmouth. Wow. First woman in college football. She the coach. first woman in college football. Yes. Okay. That's Callie Bronson. Okay. For the DC. That's one of my players. Um, now, if you're looking for where Callie is, you can see her. Most recently, she was in the playoffs with the Cleveland Browns. Uh huh. She is now the chief of staff for the Cleveland Browns. So, isn't there a lady that's coaching for Tampa Bay? Oh, you're talking about. Coach Low Locus. Now, she played out in Pennsylvania with uh, the the Pennsylvania teams out there, but she also coached and won championships and everything else like that. And I had the pleasure of working with her at um, the women's football games down in Tampa. Ah, so I got to coach with her on the national level. We're good friends. I actually need to email her because I'm, I'm not looking for tickets, but we're trying to do some stuff with the Bucks, and she's already given the green light that we're going to do some stuff there. Um, but she's amazing because she's there with the Bucks, and she's blowing people away because if you look at what the Bucks are doing, right. she's coaching the defensive line, and the defensive line for the past uh, two three years since she's gotten there 
it's been one of the best and highest performing in all of the NFL. You know what? You know what's so special about the Bucks is that they have minorities all over their team. They have a black, all off, black offensive coordinator, the- black defensive coordinator, woman D line coach. It's it's just amazing, man. I just you know I was just reading about that the other day. And they have another woman that's uh, there that is uh, she's the head of strength and conditioning. So the, all of this goes back to ex football players, ex football players, women's football being noted and saying, "Hey, they can make a difference." Right. By the way, Callie is the first woman having her jersey and her coaching outfit in the NFL Hall of Fame. Canton. In Canton, because during the season, due to COVID, one of the coaches, the tight end coach, I believe, caught COVID and was out. So then she had to step in and serve as an interim coach for a game. During the game. During the game. Right. So she's the very first one. So that was- She's the very first woman there. Phenomenal. Now, the biggest outside of all of that, like all of that is, that it's not just amazing. That's, that's greatness. Now the next person is Jennifer King. Right. Jennifer King is uh, a two sport athlete. She can coach. She played wide receiver. She's done running back. She's got moss ability where she'll jump all over you. She's won national championships at Johnson and Wales for the basketball team. Um, She was and has always been that individual that said, I'm hungry and I'm going to show you how much I want this by letting my work speak for itself. So at that same camp where I met Coach Lowe, that's where – Jen was when they had the um, women's uh, football, um, like a, a job, I won't say job core, but just a, a integration uh, by Sam Rappaport. Um, she got all of the women that were there for the wor- uh, women's world football games that come from all over the country to play all countries from the entire USA and then from other countries coming in, Switzerland, England, Fiji, you name it. Ladies are coming in. And this was an opportunity to help balance the scales a little bit. It's not, it's never going to be fully balanced, but this is a step in the right direction. And I applaud it. I want it to happen. Um, And so you had coaches from the NFL there talking to the women about what careers in sports and, and football in the NFL looks like and how to get your first step in the door, not just in playing, but what? In cybersecurity, in marketing, in coaching, um, in film study, all, you name it. They, they got in, introduced and immersed in what this career in the NFL could look like. And Jen just said, you know what? I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to play. I'm going to keep on doing what I need to do, but I want to work in the NFL. She said that to me. I want to work in the NFL. And so she kept on hustling. She kept on moving. She she was with the AAFL. She was a coach out there. She did coaching internships with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, she was 
she was consistent. There was always something about her that she was moving forward. And so once that happened, she ended up locking in. And now she is the first African-American woman to hold a full-time coaching position in the NFL. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So, so, so as we close out this first episode of AWB, what is the goal for Athletes Without Borders for the 2021? So our goal for 2021 is to continue to empower young people through STEAM and sports. Our goal is to get more young people and more parents signed up for our summer programs that are coming out uh, this summer. Um, having them understand how the arts tie in and get more brands involved with our entire movement so therefore we can empower and impact more young people across the entire U.S. That's our goal. We want to reach out and help more young people than we did last year, which was 1,000. And we're, we're on track to do that with partners like Microsoft, uh, partners, um, and if, if I, if I keep on going, I will, we'll end up in a whole nother podcast because we've got a lot of companies that are, are willing to step up to the plate and help us. And that's, um, and that's a great thing too. Cause you know, because of that, people believe in our, in our mission and they believe in the things that we're doing and how we're truly impacting youth. Yes. And that's, that's what we want to do. And we're going to keep on doing it. Um, I, I implore everyone to go to Athletes Without Borders website, awborders.org. That's A-W-B-O-R-D-E-R-S dot O-R-G. Check out our programs. Go to our Instagram. Follow us at awborders. Follow us on Twitter. Same thing, at awborders. Keep in contact with us on LinkedIn as well. We want to hear from you. We want to know what issues you're dealing with with your child or if you're a student, um, what things you're thinking about. If you're thinking about school, what schools are you thinking about? Who do you need to get in contact with? How can we assist you? We want to hear from you, the student, and the parent, so therefore we can help you succeed. That's our goal, to continuously help these young people succeed. We do that. Everything else falls into place. Gary, oh, yeah, if you want to donate some money, you can do that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, man, you know, we, we, we talked about it. We've been going on and on, man, and we got the first episode done, man. And I think that this is a great partnership with us, man, and ensuring that we're really bringing good content and we're ensuring that we're really educating people about STEAM and the benefits of STEAM and how it can impact youth and anything and that, that anything that helps young people, I'm down 100% for. Oh, definitely. 
So, and so this year on this podcast, we're going to have professionals that are head and shoulders. Uh, like they're just awesome and amazing. Like our, the, the very next um, presenter that I want us to, that we're going to have, his name is Dr. Daniel Kelly. So what's special, to, about, what's, what's special about Dr. Uh, Kelly? Man. So he is the head of academic programs for the graduate program at NYU uh, for their sports and STEAM or their sports education masters. Um, and when I tell you that he's been inspirational um, and just impactful in the world of sport as another Black man in sports, graduating from Ohio State, doctorate. He's a PhD. Man, it's it's just Dr. Buckeye. It, yes, Dr. <laughs> Buckeye. I get on him all the time about that. I, you know um, what, Garrett? Hey, man, I don't understand your infatuation with Michigan. It's because, you know. Hey, it, man, let me hey, tell you listen, what. I'm a Michigan I'm fan. I'm a Michigan fan. I love with Michigan. Hey, listen, I'm a Michigan fan. I found who Ramil Robinson was. Listen. When I saw, I got introduced to them when they won their first and Listen, only I have family members that played football for Michigan. They didn't give me any money. Therefore, my loyalty is to one school in the state of Michigan. That's that flying W. That's it. Uh, I, I got you. That's it, I, man. I if it's state, it's state. If it's Western, go Broncos, fire up chips. <laughs> I you know, even nuts. even it, 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 like, like straight up, I'm a, I'm a I'm a true. I don't I don't get into the. I, I respect champions, bro. Well, that's why that I can't really say anything bad about the rival Grand Valley. You know, I I look at it like this: y'all got five ships, we got no ships. I respect that gangster on that man. All I know is that I, I grew up. Loving the Wolverines. Listen, I know the fight song. My wife hates it. I'll sing the fight song right now. We all know the fight song. Yeah, we know the fight song. We played for we played for a, 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 a legendary coach. Yes, you know, you know Michigan Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, you know, Coach Wilcher. Goat coach. So you know, my thing is, I respect Michigan and all the great things they do, but I'm like, hey man. Until they be Ohio State on a consistent basis, man, go Bucks, bro. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, hey, man. I got, I got a kid. I just got a kid right now about to be probably starting for Michigan next year or this year. Hey, man, hey, man, it better beat it. Better beat the guys down in Columbus, or I'm going to be saying once they beat them. Until then, go Bucks. I hear you. is it the guy that you got going? Is that the he's a guard, right? Guard or tackle? Center, man. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been coaching 20 years. Next to Brandon Graham, the best kid Ooh. I ever coached. Brandon Graham Ooh. is the best kid I ever coached. This kid is number two. Woo! That's high praise right high, there. High praise, bro. I, I wasn't there when they had all the other, like, phenoms and stuff at Cass. Uh, Raheem Anderson, next to Brandon Graham. I text, I text Brandon Graham today. We were going back and forth. Listen, he is the best kid I ever coached next to Brandon Grant. Hands down. That's amazing. I told his parents that. I told him that. I told him that when I first – I was like, we was in the room watching film one day. I'm like, I'm looking. I'm like, 
Dude, where does kid come from? He's only 10 grand. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. That's going to be something special to watch. That, kid, that kid's going to start probably four years in Michigan. And I told him in 2025 draft, I just want to, I'm going to bring a, I'm going to bring a, um, let me bring about 200 wings to the house. That's what I told him. <laughs> let me just come to the house. I'll bring, I'll bring 200 wings, man. <laughs> sit in the back. Like, I just, just want to sit in the back when they call your name, bro. Tell me. That's amazing. I, I ain't no, 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 me. I keep it real, man. I'm, uh, next yeah, to Brandon Graham, flat out, man. I've been coaching 20 years. For me. And Brandon for me. Graham is amazing. Hall and of Famer I, I to me. He's amazing. He's a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer he's to going me. To get He'll get it. He should get without in there, boy. Without his sack, they don't win that Super Bowl. Because that's, that's how backward he was, you know. But, Michigan, you know, he should that's be a, a Michigan, he should be a Michigan Hall of Famer, Michigan yep. Hall of Fame, and Michigan University of Michigan Hall of Fame. He should be in the Michigan High School Sports Hall of Fame. He should be. He's going to be in the around. wall. Or he's going to be in the Ring of Honor in Philadelphia. Dog. He should be in Kent. Yeah. I mean, that's that's this this what it is, man. He a great kid. He a great, dude. He still still respect, man. That, that kid, man. Anyway, enough said with that. G, right. little, little G. <laughs> man, me and you go back since ninth grade, bro, man. Hey, this All is way. this, this, we got venture, man. We, we, we getting into together. it's deep waters. It's a lot of episodes, a lot of different shows out there, but we're going to try to make ours one of the best, man. And I think that we, I you leading the, leading the charge and athletes without borders, man. We definitely going to go to places. That no other show I've ever been going to. So, I agree with you, sir. I'm All right, excited. man. Well, be safe, man, and um, we'll definitely connect with the next episode. Sounds good. Until next time.